0: One of the struggles every entrepreneur has to deal with is the question of how to track leads and contacts. This is something every coaching client I've worked with has asked about. The bottom line answer is to find a system that you'll actually use. When you're first starting out, a spreadsheet might be all you need, but if you're ready to grow your business, you should check out ActiveCampaign. It is a powerful marketing automation platform that can help you increase your sales, improve your customer service, and build stronger relationships with your customers. With ActiveCampaign, you can create and send email campaigns, manage your leads and customers, create landing pages, set up automated workflows and track your results, all in one approachable platform. It's no wonder ActiveCampaign has over 10,000 five-star reviews on G2. If you're serious about growing your business and your current spreadsheet or CRM solution isn't meeting your needs, I suggest that you check out ActiveCampaign. Try today for free and see how it can help you achieve your goals. And for a limited time, Active Campaign is offering our listeners a chance to double your contacts for free when you sign up at activecampaign.com forward slash activate. Now, what does it mean to double your contacts? If you have 5,000 contacts, you'll only pay for 2,500, which means you have lots of room to grow without hitting the next threshold. So, what do you do? Go to activecampaign.com forward slash activate to sign up today. That's activecampaign.com forward slash activate right after this break. We'll dive into this week's interview.
1: You may know you're listening to this show along the marketing podcast network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Hyler hosts a fantastic podcast called own it Christy.
0: Today's guest has guided hundreds of people toward making deeper connections, lasting impressions, and developing friendlier, more lucrative products and services. For over a decade, she has harnessed her Hulk-like disdain for hard sales, tacky self-promotion, and overly competitive sleaze balls as inspiration to help people find better ways to grow their small business. She's the founder of the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and QuirkWorks Consulting, the author of The Coach Who Would Not Sell, and host of the podcast Too Legit, Too Legitimate to Quit, Instantly Actionable Small Business Strategies with a Pop Culture Spin. Love the name. Please join me in welcoming Annie P. Ruggles. Hello. Hi, Robbie. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us in your place in Chicago. Thrilled that you're you're on air with me, uh, knew I wanted to continue the conversation, and why not invite others to join in? You know this is a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: Leadership to me is the willingness to go first, but the remembrance that you're not going alone. Right. So in order to lead, you have to be willing to model by example, to take the risks, to be the first one to jump off the cliff. Right. But what I don't think I understood about leadership before I really stepped into a leadership capacity is that a leader is never solo. The leader is only ever the leader if they have, you know, Peter Pan is only Peter Pan if he has the lost voice. Right. So it has to be you're willing to go first, but you constantly have one eye in the rear view mirror to make sure everyone is still with you.
0: I like the, you have sort of a, a, I don't know, like a, Car, car bumper sticker way of saying it. You were like, a leader is the willingness to go first, but the remembrance to that you're not going alone. Like I've never mm-hmm. heard it said quite that way, right? You can't be a leader without followers, like your Peter Pan example. Um, That's, that's very cool and very clever and memorable. Uh, so when did you first start realizing you had the skills uh, like that? Like you were starting to think in those leadership terms.
1: You know, it's so interesting because my background is in musical theater and my whole life, I've loved being in the chorus. So I loved being in the back, doing my little tap dancing in the back, singing my one note solo loud from the back. And so I don't think for a long time I considered myself a leader because in the theater context to be the leader was to be the lead. And I literally was like, I don't need that much attention. I don't need that much focus. I don't need that much praise. Let me push that away. Uh, But what I realized is that sometimes there are many leaders. Sometimes there are co-leaders. Sometimes there are people that lead from the back. And so when I started noticing, oh, I'm doing a lot of the emotional cleanup, map-up maintenance here, or I'm doing a lot of the motivating here, I wasn't calling that leadership. I was calling that cheerleading or me just showing up as me. But when I realized that people were relying on that direction, that motivation, that encouragement, then I thought, oh, Oh. I am leading. I'm just the kindergarten teacher in the back of the line going, come on, come on, come on. Not the one out front blazing the trail. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you're pointing out the difference because I think too often we only think about the person who's literally the lead, the front of the room, the teacher, the CEO, right? The person who gets the airtime on the mic and you didn't want to be that person. You weren't called to do that, but you still found that people, I think when you said that people were relying on you, like it wasn't just that you were showing up and doing certain things that people came to expect that from you and rely on you doing that. I'm curious what you were like as a kid, though, Annie, I mean, the fact that you were doing show tunes and whatnot, it's not that surprising to me. But what were you like on the playground as a kid? You know, were you organizing your friends to do theater on the side? Were you, uh, were were adults in your life seeing potential in you? Were you being invited to have opportunities or seeking them? Like what kind of kid were you?
1: So I have this extremely gregarious, motivational speaker mother, right? So my entire childhood, everyone was like, when are you going to be on stage like your mom? And I was like, never, never, never. I was also really short and really shy. But as a kid, I realized that if my needs weren't being met, largely because people couldn't see me, (laughs) <laughs> Just lay down here, uh, what I would have to do is raise my voice and get loud and find ways to get attention. So as a kid, I learned really young that attention is a tool. Uh, but I also learned that it's not something I want all the time that I need to be able to have some space. And so as a kid, I kind of had two identities, I would like hustle the playground. Like I would be like making up the games and like doing all the stuff and like, all right, everybody, we're gonna climb this thing and then we're gonna have a court and then we're gonna blah blah blah. And then I would go home and I just wouldn't talk to anyone and I would read a book for like three days and and that's still exactly how I am. Like I will go as a loud introvert to a conference and I will schmooze the heck out of everyone. And then I will go home and my husband will be like, oh she's in a non-talking time. I'm like, yes, I'm recharging, right? But as a kid, I knew entrepreneurship was possible. I knew self-advocacy was possible because of my mom. I knew getting loud and making your eyes big and being really expressive was a way to kind of yield attention for a child who was, you know, barely two feet tall. And, and realized that the more I am me, the easier it is for me to find the people that support me. But as a kid, you know, I had to go through all the normal, like grade school trauma and bullying and all this stuff because I was trying to be a self-actualized kid. And mm-hmm. the world is not always a nice place for a self-actualized kid.
0: Mm-hmm. You got to say your mom's name on air so we can all know who you are. Her
1: name is Kathleen Passanisi. And I would love to shout out our mutual collective aunt, Lois Kramer, which is spelled like Creamer but pronounced Kramer, uh, who raised my business and has since fallen in love with Robbie. So shout out to mom and Lois.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, love that you brought Lois into here as well. And we know Lois... Uh, from different ways, but through the National Speakers Association. I'm going to put links to all these things in the show notes, folks. So don't worry. We got the notes for you because these are good people to know and good organizations to know about. Um, and you really came up in the world of NSA from what I understand yeah. because your mom was so active as a professional speaker. Um, did they have a youth program back then? Heck yeah! Heck That's yeah!
1: Fair. I went through the entire youth program. Then I... Uh, was a youth leader for the youth program. And then in 2020, I was supposed to speak to the youth program, but then COVID happened. So, but yeah, I uh, I am a child of the NSA. I am a product of the NSA. Uh, yeah. The NSA provod- provided many of the coolest experiences of my life, and some of my dearest friends to this day. So yeah, I'm a proud NSA'er. Uh, I just don't go to meetings anymore.
0: For folks who don't know, uh, the NSA acronym National Speaker Association. The way you remember it is, we're the folks who speak; they're the ones who listen. In case you're confused, all right. Bad dad jokes aside, uh, not my not material. I'm not sure who first said that. Um, all right, give them credit as NSAers do. So, uh, <laughs> so you're this. I I call what you described about your behavior on you know in the playground and then going home to read books uh, and needing to recharge, even to this day, as, as being an outgoing introvert. Mm -hmm. And I had a long-term relationship with an outgoing introvert. And she was on when she left the house. She was all eyes on her, bell the ball, dress the nines, hold your attention, pose the mostest. And then she was home in pajamas in her office. If she could have had her own wing, she would have done that.
1: Yep. I do (laughs) Um, have my own wing.
0: Yeah. I do we, for
1: this exact reason. When Ryan and I moved in here, we walked up the stairs and I saw this big sitting room and I went, my
0: and he knew yeah.
1: he knew it's because I need I need a cocoon.
0: Yes. But that's because int- of course we get confused often because we equate um being introverted with being shy. And they're mm-hmm. two different scales. And so you're that example. Mm-hmm. My wife's the opposite of you. She is a shy extrovert. And so she loves being around people. She gets a lot of energy from it. But you wouldn't necessarily know she was there, unless Magic. she like she's not like the on on stage personality. She's the behind the scenes. A freaking unicorn!
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, here's the thing: we probably don't notice all these people around us. People probably read you as an extrovert because oh, yeah. you're so gregarious
1: people argue with me all the time. Like it's in my loud introvert is in my LinkedIn bio. It's in my Instagram bio. People will watch one of my videos and then scream at me in my DMS about myself. And I'm like, okay, you're entitled to your opinion, but you've also never seen when I can stop talking or I have to stop talking because I just don't, have any words yeah. like you haven't seen that part because I don't put that part on YouTube. Maybe I should.
0: It wouldn't be as entertaining. Probably you sitting with tea in a good book wrapped up in a cocoon. Yeah. yeah. I like mean, this, we could talk everyone. about this. We could talk about this uh, all day. Let me see what else I can offer you. So, so, <laughs> so you're, so you're, you're this like outgoing kid clearly attracting some attention. You've got this like bigger than life mom. in your your world who's like inspiring you, um, showing you what's possible. You've got this great foundation with the National Speaker Association Youth Program that's inviting lots of new ideas, new people into your life. At 12 years old, what did you think you wanted to be? What was the career path?
1: At 12 years old, I, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, thought I was gonna be on Broadway. And Tuesday, Thursday weekend thought I was going to write the great American novel.
0: And you thought you had to choose. That's interesting.
1: I thought I had to choose. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I had to choose.
0: But Um, you were really um, But it definitely was ping pong.
1: Oh, yes. And I mean, my mom will tell you, like, as a little kid who grew up, um, Loving musical theater and and all the old movie musicals. Like when I was into Sound of Music, I had to be referred to as Maria. I was not Annie. I was Maria von Trapp. If I was, you know, watching uh, My Fair Lady, she had to call me Eliza. Like I was very into labels. It was so goofy. But then as like you know, if you asked me on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'd be like, I'm an actress. I do not write. And on Tuesday, Thursdays in the weekend, I'd be like, I just want to sit here and write. But I think even then it was like, am I in a productive mode or am I in a creative mode? Am I making something in the moment that's meant to be shared in the moment or am I making something private that's meant to possibly be shared eventually? I think even then I had this kind of push pull of Mm -hmm. give rest, give rest. And and I just didn't see yet that writing in rest was still a form of creation,
0: mm-hmm. right? Because you hadn't, no one had told you that. Yeah. So, were there adults in your life that particularly saw a possibility in you? Did you run for student office of any kinds? Like, did you seek any formal leadership?
1: No. They wanted me in student office because I was just a hot mess, but they did let me do some announcements because they're like, whose foghorn Ethel Merman voice is gonna wake people up in the morning? Me, right? But no, I think people like Lois, who really became an aunt to me and and teachers along the way have said what they pointed out to me is is my ability to communicate. Right. Whether that's communicate through acting or communicate through writing, there was always this idea of let's give Annie a platform because she has something to say. And I'm so grateful for that, whether that was a literary magazine or a solo in a Christmas concert or, you know, having the opportunity to debate one of my teachers about goodness knows what. Right. Back in the day. But they they definitely were like, let Annie open her mouth. Um, for good and braille. Uh, and then once I got to college, everything sort of began to change and shift. I had the first really critical people in my life from like a advisory standpoint who were like, everything you're doing is stupid and wrong and you're fat and you need a... Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to grapple with that. But then I also had some incredible mentorship happening during that time, which showed me other ways that I show up without even knowing that I show up or saw potential in me to be like, hey, you're not really thinking through everything that this could be or you know, you're know, you not showing self-awareness in this moment, so you're not seeing da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And really encouraged me to deepen my connection with myself so that I had choices in how I show up, that I'm not just showing up at an 11 plus "Ah!" all the time because I was when I was younger and it was exhausting.
0: Yeah. Exhausting for you. You weren't necessarily being aware of how it was impacting those around you. Oh, exhausting
1: for them too. It's like, okay.
0: Like You had good people in your life who some of it was very critical and, and it felt like hard to hear. Some of it was probably meant to be just constructive, but still yeah. hard to hear about being self-aware. When you went off to college, was there a plan about what like, what degree you're going to get, what kind of career you're going to have? Had you been it was like acting and writing still in the picture at all?
1: Acting was. So I went to college for musical theater, um, but I don't think I had any clue what I wanted to do with that. Um, I think I probably assumed that I would wind up teaching drama as a lot of really fabulous actors do. Um, but when I was back then, I was very much kind of adopting the bohemian side of living in the moment where like future planning was for boring people. Hmm you know, like in a way that like looking at your bank account and not just trying to use your debit card and seeing if it declines is like, you know, I was very uh, 20 then.
0: And you graduate, you're cracking me up. When you graduated, um, did you have a plan for where you were going to work? It was, was there, now I know you was an entrepreneur, but like, I feel like th- there must be a path before that that we're not talking about. What did There you was do? a path
1: and it was a disaster. Okay. okay it was it. a disaster. You're like, oh, good. Here's the tea. All right. So went to Columbia College, Chicago, studied musical theater, met some of the most important people in my whole life, had a great time. Uh, but a lot of us, through our friend, Michael wound up working at Broadway in Chicago, running the big touring musical, like in their big touring musicals office. And so I started as the receptionist, uh, just, you know, doing reception stuff. And then they needed somebody literally to go out and do stupid, stunty stuff. Uh, And they were like, what about weird reception chick over there? She can do it. And so they would, they would be like, okay, you need to go host spelling bees for the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee musical, or you need to go host the wicked singing contest where you teach everyone how to sing popular. They all freaking know. Okay. But then you got to sit there while the cast of wicked judges these like 75,000 children singing the same you know two choruses of popular or defying gravity and it was a blast and it was really fun and then the fun died uh because the marketing assistant quit and they didn't want to outside hire or i think pay someone you know what you should pay a marketing assistant so they were like oh yeah the weirdo the weird one that we're making do the parades and Dress and drag and look like Frankie Valley and then talk to Frankie Valley and whatever. Yeah, that her. We'll have her do it. So that's how I became a marketing assistant. I knew nothing about marketing. I wound up at the age of, I think, 20, having a team of interns, including the vice president's daughter and a bunch of people who were older than me, uh, looking at me to what to do with marketing. I had no training. So it was very much trial by fire. It was more like trial by ulcer and Chipotle margarita. Like, oof, That job broke me. But I realized running big theater marketing could be valuable to small theaters, which were still my people here in Chicago. We have more small theaters even after COVID than any other theater town in America. We're very proud of that. So I was like, what can I teach small theaters about running their marketing like big theaters? Then I realized small theaters and all theaters are just businesses. So how could I take this and help my friends in personal development and the people I knew from my mom's world, like speakers and coaches? That's a lot like a theater. We got to have a differentiator. We got to invite people to things. We got to build lists and all that. So how could I use theater marketing to extend into personal development industries and and into self-employment and all that? And then from there, I was like, oh, there's a whole world of really gorgeous ooey gooey marketing stuff that I can lean into uh, that doesn't have to involve crying in a closet and having tissues thrown at your head by Broadway producers. Yes.
0: (laughs) Oh gosh, there's so much I want to unpack about this. Uh, First of all, you are a yes person. If someone says, hey, we need someone, Annie, and you're like, all right, Where's the hot dog suit? I'll stand on the corner with a sign. Yep. You're like, whatever. I
1: have, and I have. And, yeah. you
0: know, I don't worry, I'll bring a picture up later. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, I got um,
1: you want pictures of me painted green for Wicked? Got them. You want pictures of me dressed like Frankie Valley on a pride float? Got them. I got it all. Whatever you need, Yeah. it's coming.
0: But then. It probably sounds like a lot like you were thrown into the deep end with nothing to help you float and all these other people you need to rescue because they were all thrown in with you and so you're just you know working your butt off trying to keep everything moving because only if you move you don't sink and that's not a great way to learn but you did realize that wow i'm learning a lot in a at a scale that most smaller Uh, places don't have access to Most smaller theaters don't know this information. I have that similar experience. I got trained on fundraising at like a really strong organization. And I recognize that all these little organizations, like they don't even know the basics. And they're scrambling, you know? And you're like, oh, but if you just did these three things. And so you started to apply that. And I'm curious because most people don't know that speaking and selling and being an entrepreneur is a thing. They, they have to stumble into it. Like, I have all these stories of people on my show who saw someone speak and said, wow, I love what you did. I want to do what you do. I don't know what that is. And they are like, I'm a speaker. Go to the Na- National Speakers Association and you'll learn. <laughs> and um, you were already there. Like, you already had in that world.
1: I saw the inside of the speaking industry and went, oh, no, thank you. Like, mm, no.
0: Right. But um, you, but you took something from it because you yeah. like you said, the diff, being a differentiator, having a value proposition, knowing how to market yourself, right? Yes. All that stuff, you learn the essence of, and then you realize, oh, this applies to theater, which is my passion. So did you start to like, did you leave that like exhausting, never ending job and start hanging a shingle to say like, Hey, I can teach you this. Or was there a side hustle? Like, how did you start to bring this to these smaller theaters?
1: Well, Broadway in Chicago, much to my parents' dismay, because they really loved free tickets. Ooh, they loved getting those free tickets. Um, I parted ways with them, uh, healed my stomach lining, grew my hair back, and uh, moved on with my life. But what happened was I immediately started looking for uh, other stuff to do. So I had previously, before I was at Broadway in Chicago, I ran. Birthday parties at Lincoln Park Zoo. So I went back into the event side of stuff for a while, while I spun my stuff up at night. And then I met another super amazing, fast, instantaneous friend who was building a small software firm, and said, "We really need someone to be our basically director of marketing and client liaison." Is that something that you would want to do? And so I spent five years growing a software company until it got acquired. Uh, and then after that, I was like, well, I go back into events. I could do other stuff. What am I going to do? And I just thought, nope, you're back on your own. Let's go. And so when polymathic was acquired in 2017, I went back on my own.
0: Wow. So, but you went back on your own with a lot more experience under your belt. Those five years, I mean, getting that opportunity. So you had, so you already had the event experience. You'd already experienced trying to hustle to line up your own at that point, probably gig economy type. Roles, right there's whatever you could a do zillion
1: percent. yeah
0: like yeah. sure, sure.
1: for black box theaters and you know gigging loud yeah. singing it you know whatever i could do i was in dinner theater for a really long time that paid some bills
0: yeah i mean you're multi-talented and multi-passionate so that helps so you figure out Multisuku. all these things that. yeah so um so then you have this bona fide job job though. Like you, you know, I mean it's a startup, you're the director of marketing, it looks good on a business card. Um, you you by then have figured out some stuff about how this marketing thing works, you're helping them, they get acquired, you have all this knowledge, you still have a passion to support theater. You decide you don't want to go get hired somewhere else, you wanna continue on your own. What led to that decision? The fact that I'm pretty much
1: unhirable. If I'm going to be totally blunt, like I, I know myself and I know my zone of genius, and I just perform so much better in a non-traditional environment with more autonomy and freedom. Some people hate that. I love that. If I have a burst of energy and I want to work at three o'clock in the morning, I do. Right, but I think life in the post-COVID era. As much post-COVID as we can be I think has has shown us with more people working from home That flexibility is possible that we don't necessarily have to have everybody in a start and stop world But back before our entire lives were on this platform, you know, so well Robbie um, I would just see all these different fixes or restrictions that didn't really fit for me or I would find my way a lot into situations where the ethics or values of the top level and my values didn't align. And then I'd be like, why am I here aping someone else's lesser value system instead of just going out and building my own where I could put what matters to me at the forefront and not have to compromise? how clients are treated or how my brand is inclusive and not have to censor myself. When, you know, if I want to talk about on my podcast or in my business, if I want to talk about trans lives or black lives or any of these things, I do. I don't have to worry about what my corporate overlords want me to say. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And so for yeah. being a really outspoken, loud, short, flaily person, I was just like, all right, if I go back on my own, I can work when I want to work, serve who I want to serve, and say what I want to say. And for me, that was worth giving up a four hundred one k and and dental, and not for nothing. My husband has a really wonderful job with benefits, and so that factored in too. It's not like I was, you know, so totally untethered. Like,
0: so at that point, you're married. um, mm -hmm. You have so you have that kind of stability. I mean, that actually is a big factor in my own entrepreneurial journey is marrying well, you know, getting the blessing to go do my thing, be who I am and serve who I want to. Um, Having, I mean, I think you laid out the, a strong case for why you wanted to go into entrepreneurship, why you were willing to do that. A lot of people leave um, a 60 hour work week job saying, oh, I hate this. I want freedom. And they work a hundred hours a week as an entrepreneur. So Um, what did you first sell when you first decided like this is my thing? Like, what was those first? Who were you selling to? What were (laughs) you selling them? How are you making a buck?
1: Okay, so I self-identify as a muppet, which someday I'm going to get sued. But let's go back in the time machine of Annie. Okay, so I'm currently 38, very muppety. I want y'all to go back in time to like 25, 26-year-old, really recently out of theater school, still doing a lot of dinner theater and performances, a lot of children's theater, a lot of birthday parties. So like crazy. And also uh, the timeline back then was the age of the manic pixie dream girl. So like Kirsten Dunst and Zoe Deschanel and all of these people were everywhere being like, let's just bake about our pain. Like, that was the environment that little, weirdly gregarious, quirky me was <laughs> rising into. So the very first thing I sold was happiness advocates and whimsy coaching. I got myself certified in positive psychology. And whimsy coaching specialty was getting over serious people to like go swing on a swing set. Or, like, try something different for lunch. Like, but then something really weird happened really quickly, which is that back then, around 2010 ish, when all of that was going on, coaching was still really new. Like, we still had to constantly be telling people, No, I'm not an athletic coach. When I say coach, I mean this. Like, we were still defining the term coach. It didn't have any of the baggage it has now because it was still totally new. Right. So, I thought I was going to be this. Daniel Laporte, Gala Darling, Shiny Lifestyle Brandy coach. And that's that's really what I thought for myself. I was like, okay, we'll make it fun and theatrical and blah blah. Yeah. What happened instead was that I was marketing my stuff really well because I had this accidental background in marketing that my business was profitable because people were coming to me to figure out how my coaching business was profitable when theirs wasn't yet so i wound up doing coaching marketing unexpectedly because i had a profitable coaching business but the very first thing i sold was like goofy field trips for corporate men
0: you're like the corporate overlords they need some fun summer camp time like yeah, group yeah. circles and icebreakers for corporate overlords. Yeah. That,
1: that exactly. And then meanwhile, like overcoming sad girl syndrome on the happiness advocate side of like getting yourself a little bit more out of reactivity, the self-awareness that I had had to accrue. Um, blah, 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 blah. But yeah. So I started that way and then mm-hmm. it went from there.
0: 2017 though. You're now faced with this like, you know, Robert Frost moment, you know, pathless, right. whatever, whatever, right? Like, so where are you going to go? Yep. What did, what was the thing then at that point that you decided to sell? Was it, Did you realize like everyone keeps coming to me for marketing? Clearly I'm going to stick with this marketing thing.
1: At that point it was largely writing uh, because at that point I had written so many startups websites, landing pages, email sequences, Mm. uh, pitch decks, contracts. I mean, I had written so many things that the easiest thing to do was just go and get other writing work for startups. Um, But really at that point, I knew my time in software was valuable, but I really didn't want it to be terminal. Like I didn't want to stay in landia and serving Startuplandia because I was passionate about the founders. I was very rarely passionate about the product. And whereas in personal development or in business development, I'm a lot more likely to... I mean, getting me getting jazzed on the person is the requirement. If I'm not jazzed on the person, I'm not working with you. I don't have the time and there are a million strategists, right? But, but now... Ten times out of ten, I'm jazzed on the person and what they're delivering. Back at software, I mean, it's just not it's necessarily the same thing. There'd be a really amazing person making all the street lights over from normal to LED, and I'm like, I hate the LED lighting, but sure, I guess it's important. Aren't we killing birds? Well, I don't know. Then I have to write in the FAQ: We do not intend to kill birds, and it's just like, oh, I don't want them. this. Is not for me.
0: Yeah. I know, I know you today as someone who's like fighting the, the traditional sales model and the ickiness around it. I'm curious about a couple of things. One is how the pandemic and all the shifts around that seismic mm-hmm. shifts changed what you ended up being called to do. And at what point did sales become like your focal point and particularly your brand of how people should approach sales?
1: Yeah. So the idea doula, which is the brand that came out of my marketing writing brain, uh, at that point was very much geared toward helping people launch new businesses. So like working with the business pregnant to get their ideas into the world. Right. And I loved that. And we all had a lot of fun and a lot of really shiny marketing. And ain't none of us were making any money. Me included. And I'm like, how is this possible? We have the best. Marketing we have the best websites. We have the best copy. We have the best. Why are none of us making money? And so I uh, Hadn't you know, there's that saying and I have to censor it because we're doing a g-rated show, but um, there's an old saying We'll we'll put it this way Uh, There's an old saying that if everyone if you notice that everyone around you is a jerk face Maybe you're the jerk face Right. And so I looked at it and I was like, no one around me is making any money. Maybe it's because I'm not making any money. Uh Uh-oh. Are they all modeling me? Heck yeah, they were. So I went to my clients who were working so hard on their marketing, their positioning, their delivery, their customer service. And I was going to them and I said, okay. I don't know where this idea came from, but I think it was like me waking up to this reality. I said, okay, send me your most recent sales call. Half of my people went, I'm supposed to be doing sales calls. And the other half went, no, I'd be too embarrassed. And I'm like, oh, whoa, okay, we got a problem. No wonder no one is making any money. Whoa. So I went and I listened to my air quotes, sales calls at the time. And here's what they were, networking calls. They were networking calls. And then at the point, at the end, where even if they had their wallet at hand, I'd be like, thanks so much, Robbie, bye. What? I was just unwilling to go and ask and cross that final threshold because I had what I've come to understand as sales avoidance. I had this idea that what I was doing was precious and wonderful and sacred and loving, which it is. But I also thought that selling would cheapen it, which it won't unless you adopt stuff that isn't to your standard or personality or values right that's when it feels gross none of that stuff is required so when i was still doing all this idea duelist stuff around 2019 i was like uh-oh uh-oh the bigger problem is not that we don't know how to market effectively the bigger problem is that my people at this level don't know how to sell how to ask and receive, maybe even negotiate, in a way that feels awesome for both parties. That's the problem. And then where Quirk Works Consulting came in just this last year is now everyone around me is selling so well, we can return to more of the idea, dual principles of like, let's get our marketing out there. Let's stand out. Let's be bold. Let's differentiate. Let's show ourselves. Let's own our quirks. Let's, let's lean into that. Now we can finally do that. Now that we're willing to actually cross that line and say, Hey, and the price for me to help you is this. And that is payable in the following ways. And here's a button. Please click it. Thank you.
0: I have to share this phrase. I call it my, um, uh, it's like a, uh, I can't think of what I've called this question, but there's a question I use that is able to shift the conversation from a networking call or like a get to know you call or pick your brain call into, it's like a miracle, right? <laughs> like into a sales call. And it goes something like this. Um, you know, wow, I have so many ideas for you because you sound a lot like the folks that I work with. Hey, would you like to hear what it would be like for us to work together? And then if they say yes, which I've never had someone say no, because by that point in the call, I've already given them some ideas. Exactly. I, don't, I don't pitch them my product my offer, my like three opportunities. And here's the dollar amounts. I say, you know, you remind me of this particular client and here's the out here's what they came to me about. And here's the outcome that they got. Is that kind of what you're looking for? And Social then you just like move a series of, of yeses. And I have to say, I'm not always disciplined about it. I've definitely left money on the table but I've gotten better at like ending the half hour call with the next step of how we could continue the conversation much clearer, even if I I actually don't want to squeeze people into a a yes when they didn't expect to even be on a sales call. I want people to take time, but yeah, like I I know what you're saying. I actually, I come to this from such a different perspective. My background is fundraising and I worked in nonprofits. Yes.
1: So you have the exact opposite. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I had no corporate background and I thought I had no sales experience until. I came to realize that sales were relationships and I had been managing to get money out of people's pockets in exchange for nothing but goodwill. And if I know how to do that for fundraising, well, then I know how to do a sales call. Right. And it, like clicked. And then suddenly I realized I was ahead of a lot of entrepreneurs who had not gotten that far, had not figured that piece out. And yes, I agree with you. This is a piece that all of us need to tighten up and be reminded of. Um, And I love that you use all the language that a lot of people, the icky language, the the things people feel, you acknowledge right off the bat. Like, let's not, how do we do a non-salesy thing? How do we, how do we not approach people in that way? 2020 happens. Did you just start doing virtual programming? Like, where did you take your business in that time?
1: I would love to say I woke up and everything was peachy um the first couple of months of 2020 were really scary because i am a purchase that people make when they're growing so when their business is stagnating outside help especially mid ticket outside help is not something that immediately comes to mind unless i mean once once that sweet sweet eidl sba loan money started flowing Then stuff started picking back up because people were like, oh, I got a little bit of money from the government. Time to write that new thing I've always wanted to do, right? But those first couple months were really, really rough. And so what I did then was I tried to make sure I went one-to-many. So I did more courses back then. I did more workshops back then. I also big time upped my free offerings back then. I launched my podcast during the pandemic to help me uh, help people dip the toe and discover me in a different, more accessible way. But I also, I had to diversify what I was looking at. I had a lot of resistance about teaching a hands-off class. I had a lot of uh, resistance about Running things at a mid ticket price point. I was always like high ticket and low ticket. I didn't have anything in the mid. So I had to look at my own bottleneck points where I was blocking myself in a very real way and say which of these preferences are movable and which of these are non negotiable. And I had more negotiable stuff than. I previously thought because I had to get creative because the world required me to get scrappy again in a way that I was not expected.
0: I love this, and I also imagine that your network helped you at that time as well. I'd love to actually ask you about your network because I, I, I imagine you just met a lot of people. And oh, my
1: network is everything. I am everything. nothing without my network. Okay. So I always, I
0: yeah, I always ask this question, right? Like you have your inner circle, you know, you're going to stay in touch with, right? but then you have your second and third degree or second and third layer out, the people that you might see once you're at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you like each other, like you hit it off, you enjoy each other's company. How do you nurture and sustain those kinds of connections, those like looser or weaker connections? Any habits, philosophies, practices? Mm -hmm.
1: Celebrate, right? So Russell Brunson, King of Traffic, has this whole thing that he suggests called the Dream 100. And the Dream 100 is like, go out, and befriend the gatekeepers. And that's awesome. But I look at it always as the people that already love us tend to get the short end of the stick. The clients we already have, the clients that have already graduated, the friends we've already made, the events we've already attended, right? Kind of like, meh, sort of like single serving friends like Fight Club, and then they're done. And so what I decided I would do instead is I would apply those same principles to the people that I already love. So my Instagram favorite feed are my clients, my peers, my old podcast guests, the people that I want to keep tabs on. Then what do I do? When I go to do my social listening, not just my spray and pray social posting, but when I go to do my social listening, I go on LinkedIn, I go on Instagram and I just start applauding and celebrating and boosting stuff. It's really that simple, right? So for example, today I saw on LinkedIn that Jody Krangle, who I love, did a podcast interview with Vinny Potestivo, who I love. So I'm like, oh, look, a twofer. And all I had to do was go on and be like, love both of you. Can't wait to see. And then I put a note in my calendar when the episode's coming out look for Jody Vinny podcast to share. I just made that little note. So that I remember, okay, there's an action item here. They didn't ask me to do it. But in real time, I commented on the post teasing the episode and made a mental note to share the episode when it's time, right? And, and that's how that's I do is it's genuine. I'm not just looking for stuff to, you know, whatever. Sometimes I'll answer a question if they ask a question, if I happen to see that. Sometimes I'll lend support if they need some support. Most of the time, it's just cheerleading and amplifying the people that I love. Because they came to me for support. And so I just stay in the support role, whether or not they're paying me to stay there. Mm -hmm. It brings me back. It keeps me top of mind. And all I'm doing is being genuine. If Robbie, if we were at a party in the flesh, the very first thing that I would do is give you a hug. And then I'd be like, what's up with you lately? What's super exciting? And you'd be like, my wife and kids and I just did this crazy thing. And I would be like, wow, Robbie, that's amazing. Do you have the thing of the stuff of the da-da-da? Ooh, you know what? If you're going to Tucson, I know people there. And you da-da-da-da-da. we'd be off to the races, but it would still be the same thing. What are you excited about? How can I lean and lend to that enthusiasm? That's it. That's so you
0: just go around. You just celebrate everyone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All of my client calls start with celebrations. All of my group calls start with celebrations as a strategist. It's also really important for me to know what's working. So I'm kind of naturally always in that growth through celebration mode. And so I just took that and applied it to my social media.
0: It's brilliant. I, just, I love it. But I love it so love much.
1: On folks. That's it.
0: Yeah, this is great. So I have my last question. This is just my favorite question, actually. Uh, so let's say it's a year from now, we are definitely going to be in touch. So a year from now, I go, Oh my gosh, Annie, it's been a year since I entered you. And I'm going to ask you what you're celebrating. I'm going to ask you what we're toasting. What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: What I'm most, I'm so lucky and fortunate and excited that I have so many amazing pots on the stove right now. But if I had to pick the one that I'm the most excited about to celebrate with you, I am the most excited to start serving a community again. I haven't led a mastermind or support community in a really long time. Um, And I've been hesitant on that. I feel like now is the right time though for me to lead and to gather people around me now that I understand that I can be the kindergarten teacher who leads from the back of the room. Now that I know that, I'm really excited to take another stab at building community again. And so a year from now, I'm going to be celebrating how that community has grown, but I'm less concerned about how many people are in it and more concerned about how far we've all grown through it. So that's what we'll be celebrating.
0: I love it. I can't wait to celebrate that with you. How can people find you and follow your work,
1: Annie? Well, If you love to listen to stuff and you're okay with keeping it zany and some swears, head on over to tolegitimate.com, get a hold of that podcast and we will fill your ears with some lovely, non-frivolous fluff. I always say it's often goofy, but never fluffy. So go in there and uh, hit that up. Or if you're in active sales avoidance or you have a marketing thing you don't know how to do, or you're not sure how you're differentiating don't go to my website. My website is glorious. Don't even go there. What I want you to do instead is I want you to go and find me on a platform with messaging. For me, there are two that are best. LinkedIn, just search for my name, Annie P. Ruggles,
0: send me a message.
1: Don't just connect with me, send me a message. Or on Instagram, I'm at Anniepreneurs. Hop into my DMs and we'll talk and we'll get you going.
0: We're going to put all those links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Annie. Thank you so much for this conversation. I loved it.
1: Thanks for schmoozing with me, babe.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Annie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 337. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week for interviewing another talent professional who overcame challenges on their way to success. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their entrepreneurial journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week.
1: Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze Podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.